The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Last week we were invited into this profound and deep punctuated praise and this week we're going to we're going to move into Ephesians chapter 2. This has been just a battleground text over the centuries for our teaching that we are saved through faith by grace alone. Let me read it to you now if you're if you're with us here at church uh, uh, open up to page 9 and if you're at home listening in with us go ahead and and page open your bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to take the first part of that chapter here this morning. Here's what the Spirit has for us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. To to pretend that you can gather up these verses under a single theme is to say too much, but but we will try. We will try to gather up all of these truths this morning under this one theme, the posture of resurrected life. Now, it, is, it cannot be debated that, that this is a text that is all about resurrected life. In fact, just, just look at the movement of the text From the beginning to the end, we are moving, actually God is moving us all the way from death to life, all the way from the tomb to being created anew in Jesus' image. This this is all about resurrected life. In fact, you could look at the principal verbs in the section, and the principal verbs are these that we are made alive, that we are lifted up, and that we are seated with Christ at God's right hand. In fact, oddly, oddly, this is all about life. When we would expect it to be, in a sense, about death. 
You know, we've, we've become accustomed as Lutherans that, that whenever we talk about salvation, we think about the blood, and we think about the cross, and we think about the events of Good Friday, but they are not here. They are only hinted at. In fact, we are not saved by Christ in this section. Did you notice that we are saved with Him? That we are raised with Him and that we are seated with Him. Oddly so, oddly so, this is all about resurrected life with Christ. Now, about the second part of the ser- the, the, our sermon theme, the posture then of resurrected life, you're just going to have to trust me for a little bit that there is something about bodily and spiritual uh, postures here. And we're going to look at this through a simple grid because I hope to push into your life, and this is my prayer, that I can push into your life a simple, simple way of understanding what Christian resurrected life is all about through the means of posture. We're going to learn this morning to to sit, to stand, and to walk. These These are the postures of this resurrected life that we have with Christ. Let's begin with the first one, that we sit. Now, to get at the very heart of this, this, this passage by God's resurrected power, where do we end up? After we've been made alive, like Paul says, after we've been lifted up, where do we end up? We end up seated with Christ. Look at what it says in verse 6. And I have the wrong translation in front of you. Here, here it is. This is verse, there, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us. So this is our, our first spiritual posture in this new resurrected life that we have with Christ that we are going to be sitting. Now, the sitting posture can mean, mean many things. But the Apostle Paul wants it to mean one thing here in Ephesians chapter 2. That when we are seated with Christ, our salvation, the work of our salvation is finished. So when a farmer goes out to do the work during her day, she is standing and walking and and doing all kinds of things that the farmer needs to do. But when she returns from work, what does she do when she finishes? is her work. She sits because she's done. You see, when Jesus sat down at God's right hand, the perfect obedience, the blood, the cross, the death, all of it was finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, he did not lie. The work of our salvation was done all the way through, and so with him we sit. It's all we do when it comes to our relationship with God, we sit. So all of the rest of what the Apostle Paul says here flows from this one one incredible truth that we sit, so then it cannot be by works, can it? Not if we're sitting. It must be through faith. It, 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 It must not be through any other means or our works, at least it, not ours, but God's. 
And as a result, nobody can boast. In your relationship with God, just sit. That's it. I wasn't even that long ago when I was sitting with a family and I was teaching them about how to get saved. Isn't that how we usually talk about it? And I told them this, this, this deep truth that we sit. I said it in a different way, actually. I said that all of the other religions and Christless movements of the day have one main message. You know what it is? They say, all of them say the same thing in one way or another. Either they shout it to the highest heavens or they whisper it, but it's always the same. They always say, do. Do. What does the Christian faith say in Christ? Done. Your sins completely paid for. The gates of heaven completely opened. Jesus has done everything necessary for your salvation. Done. I asked this family, I said, do you believe that? And they said, Pastor, I'm not sure. They said, I've never heard that teaching. This is, this is really new for me. I'm not sure. This is so different than anything I've ever heard before. So I tried a different tactic. I said, okay, let's try it your way. What's the one thing that you could do 100% faithfully for the rest of your life so that you could earn your salvation. I said, how about this? Could you go to church every single week faithfully? They said, Pastor, I'm not sure. Maybe you're right. You see, if, if any little bit of our salvation depended on us, would we make it? Absolutely not. But it does not depend on us, does it? We are saved by grace, and our salvation, our relationship with God is defined by our sitting with our victorious and risen Christ. Just sit. Just sit. Now, that's the first spiritual posture that we, are, we take as Christian people, but it is not the only posture that we take. We, we sit in our relationship with God but we stand in opposition to the powers of this world. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to make just a bright beginning into who it is that rules this world in our text today. And he's going to open this up further in Ephesians chapter 6. You, you, you know Ephesians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul says, put on the full armor. And I, I'm going to continue reading that verse. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. So that you can take your stand. So we sit in our relationship with God and we stand in opposition, to put it in the words of Ephesians chapter 2, to everything that we once were. Everything. And what we once were is not a pretty picture, is it? You're, you're going to you're gonna have to hear this from me, and you may not like it. But it's not a pretty picture. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
He says that you used to be a spiritual corpse. And that when the Gospel was preached or shared, you had no power on your own to respond. No, no stimuli whatsoever. A pastor told a story. I listened to it. One time he, he visited a family after a loved one had died. And in the back, there was a little kid running around. And the little kid didn't really get it yet that, that when there's a dead body there, that that dead body is kind of sort of sacred and holy, isn't it? We treat them with respect, even though that it's just an empty shell. And the little kid started to poke the dead body. Nobody saw it except the pastor. Poke it. You know what happened? Nothing. They were dead. They, they cannot respond. So many, so many in the world are like that today where we share the gospel of Jesus and the people are like, well, so what? They can't respond, they're dead. We were once like that. Apostle Paul continues and he, and he starts to flesh out what this, what this picture of deadness looks like. It's, it's almost like, uh, if we could describe it this way, it's a total bondage and enslavement. It's as if we become brute beasts and, and the devil and our sinful nature's got this, you know, one of those, those rings in our noses and we're just led around. He says this. He says this. You follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. The principalities and, and the powers in the book of Ephesians are the devil and his demons. And the Apostle Paul pictures it this way, that, that this world is absolutely dominated and once we were with them. We couldn't help ourselves. We're just being led around. And if we weren't being led around by these principalities and the powers, he says this, that all of us also lived among them at what time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. In, in other words, we're, we're just being led around by the first thing, the first desire that sort of pops into our hearts and minds. Like animals. Like a brute beast. I, I've told this story before, I think, many times, but I'm going to tell it again because I think it illustrates this point so well. We, we had the, we, our, our, our last dog, his name was Cooper. Some of you knew him. And he had really bad manners sometimes, really bad. And we invited a friend over. She, a beautiful person. And we, we were going to have dinner with her. And, and Cooper comes over and he's jumping all over her. And then all of a sudden he gets on her arm. And he did what male dogs do. You know what I'm talking about. Couldn't help himself. I was so embarrassed. Cooper, what are you doing? Snatch him off, you know? That's how we were. The first piece of flesh that walks by, oh, we got to have that. I'm not going to deny myself that. And, and it's even worse, like, it's even worse. Like now we're not even shameful about it. Now we take pride to the highest heavens. Look at what I do. I don't stop myself from doing anything. Wow. We were by nature, Paul says, objects of wrath. And now, and now 
as we take a spiritual position as, as resurrected people, we are called to stand in opposition to everything that we once were. We stand against it. I wonder, I wonder if faithful Christians, after a while, we sort of forget this truth that, oh, the world's just a neutral place. We tell ourselves like, oh, like I should just follow exactly what the world's always pushing into my heart and mind. And we don't even have any kind of spiritual discernment at all anymore. We have to remember that we've been saved from all of that. And by the way, if there is no difference between you and the world, Aren't you then still dead? But, but God, who is rich in mercy, isn't that what Paul says? God, who is rich in mercy, he, he saw us as these, these miserable people who could not even help ourselves, and he raised us to life with Christ, and he lavished his grace on us, not because we earned or deserved it, but because of who he is. And now, and now we, we stand with Christ and we are no longer infants like Paul's going to tell us, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We sit with Christ. Our salvation is done. We stand in opposition to everything that we once were. And we also walk. Now with this walking idea, the NIV actually hides it. Maybe you're using a better translation if you're at home, but I'm going to use the HCSB for a second. This is verse 10, where it says this, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. See, we should walk in them. So sit, stand, and walk. Which means that, that we have become God's new creation and the prepositions here matter. We are not doing good works because we're earning our salvation. We are doing good, we are doing good works because we've been prepared for them. Isn't that right? Not because of, but for them. And that's an important point. We have been raised up with Christ just for this one purpose that we would walk in good works toward neighbor. Now, this, this is the place where we want to start with our good works. Right here, as we've said, and here's, this is my big point here, that all of these good works, if we're going to walk in them, they must be within walking distance. They must be within walking distance because we're going to walk in them. God's placed them right in front of us. So you don't have to look far away. You don't have to sort of, it's not some big mystery. What am I supposed to do to please God and do these good works? Look around. They are within walking distance. The place to start, we're going to see it in Ephesians, is what does it mean to be a member of a church? We're going to unpack that as we go in the sermon series. But don't stop there. What does it mean to be a citizen of the world? What does it mean to be a husband and a wife? We're going to see that. We're going to see what does it mean to be a child of a parent. We're going to see what does it mean to be an employer, an employee. These are the good works that are within, you might say, walking distance. So stop with all of the good works that are not within walking distance. We have to stop that. I, 
so many times in this world that, that is so, uh, we, we are trying to, to overcome the tyranny of distance and you cannot do it. You can't. You can't save somebody really far away, can you? So as Christians, we're going to choose the good works that are within walking distance instead of choosing disempowerment. And instead of choosing outrage and frankly meddling in other people's vocations. And we're going to choose the works that are right there within walking distance to people that we see every single day, our neighbors and our family and our church. It's that simple. God has put these things right in front of you. Walk in them, the Apostle Paul says, with great joy. All right, so that's it. That's it. It's that simple. This is, this is the resurrected life that we have with Christ, and these are the three bodily positions. We sit, we stand, and we walk. You know, it's, this is, I, I was reflecting on this truth. Like, this isn't yoga, is it? It's not yoga. You don't, you don't have to, I can't do yoga for whatever reason. I can't contort my body into a downward dog or whatever they call that. Or I can't do a tree or anything like that. Christian, the postures of resurrected life are something that anybody actually can do. Any child, sit, stand, walk. May God help us to do this. Amen.